Praise the Lord. Come on. Stand to our feet, if you would. Open your Bibles with me to the book of Colossians. As you do that, our core kids are dismissed to their classes. And I am glad to be home with you today. Amen. Missed you guys for a few weeks. Book of Colossians, we are in chapter 2. Verses 8 through 10, Colossians 2, 8 through 10. When you got it, say so. And it says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy in empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Lord God, thank you so much for your word that is true. Thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to be in your presence, to worship your name, to be reminded of the greatness of your name, the power of your name, the beauty of your name, Lord God, and that we are your sons and your daughters by the grace of God. Lord, we pray this morning that our ears would be attentive to your word, that our hearts would be open to your truth, and that our lives would be surrendered to you, God, and that we would obey what you say today, that we would not just hear you, that we would not just mentally assent to the truth, but God, that we would respond to it in faith and be doers of your word, God. We thank you for all of this, and we pray these things in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you don't have an outline, please raise your hand, and that way the ushers can get you an outline. We want to make sure that you have an outline so you can follow along um, in the introduction of the sermon. And not just that, but so you can follow along in the... Um, reading of our memory verse together. Um, I know I wasn't here for a couple of weeks, so you probably didn't say the memory verse, and that's okay. Um, did any of y'all memorize the memory verse while I was gone? Anyone? Anyone want to come and share that with us up here? Not not yet? All right. Well, uh, it's all good, you know. Um, it's, it, we, we still got a few more weeks that will be in the book of Colossians, and so as always, uh, it's very important for me that you do have an outline so that way you can follow along, right, in the intro so you can take notes. I think notes are really important. Um, I also think that it's a tool that you can utilize to make disciples, right? So if you're a person that is not exactly sure how to help someone else grow in their faith, one of the ways that you do that is by simply sitting down with them and sharing scripture with them and explaining it to them to the best of your ability. And sometimes we feel ill-equipped, right, in order to do that because it's intimidating. You look at this Bible, 66 books, what am I going to teach someone? And so what I'm telling you is you're going to know what to talk about these next three verses that we're going to deal with today, you could definitely sit down with someone when I'm done, at least I hope so. If I did my job correctly, you should be able to sit down with someone and explain to them what these scriptures mean and how they affect your life and how they can affect their life. And so if you do not have someone in your life that you are helping them grow in their faith, that you are actively engaging them as a disciple of Jesus, I challenge you and encourage you to make sure that you do that and you can start tomorrow, right? And like I say, you can invite a friend to talk to them. You can invite an enemy and be like, hey, you and I don't like each other, but let's talk about Jesus, right? I mean, I don't know. Uh, make it interesting. But nonetheless, you have your outlines there. And so we're going to read together three times our memory verse, um, and then we're going to go ahead and get into the message here. But it says this, so say it with me. Say, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. 
All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Let's read it again. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. One more time. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Come on, give yourselves a hand. That was good. Good reading. And again, it is very important, right? This memory verse is what I believe is the depiction of this entire book. What the Apostle Paul is trying to do is drive home the point that we just read here. And when we went through this portion in the teaching through Colossians, we learned that this was a song. This could have potentially been a hymn of the first church that was something that they would actually rehearse on a norm in order to remind them of the truth of who Jesus is. And so if you look at your outline here today, we're going to be dealing with um, one of the four isms that we see here in the book of Colossians. And so there are four isms. There is Gnosticism, there is um, legalism, there is ascetism, and there is mysticism. So these are the four things we're going to deal with as we walk through the remainder of chapter two in the book of Colossians. And we're going to chop it up a bit uh, the way that the Apostle Paul addresses these different isms. These were the false teachings that we talked about in the beginning um, when we we laid the foundation of the book of Colossians, the false teachings that were there that they were bringing forth, that they were trying to inject into the church of Colossae, and this is what Paul was addressing. And so today, we're going to deal with the warning against Gnosticism, right? We're going to talk about that. And so your outline says, we must be vigilant and aware of the ploys of the enemy to deceive us. We have to, be, we have to recognize what it is that the apostle is trying to communicate. If you look back up to verse um, 4, he says this, uh, just look back, chapter 2, verse 4. He says, now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. This I say, so remember, the Apostle Paul has gone through all of these teachings. He's gone through all of this beautiful doctrine of the gospel. He's communicated the wonder, the power, the glory, the preeminence of who Christ is. He's done all of this, and now he's telling you this is the reason why. And he starts off by saying, lest anyone deceive you. And then the next word that we deal with, that we'll deal with today, when we look at verse 8, he says, beware lest anyone cheat you. And so what I want you to realize is that there is a progression that happens. There is deception, and then there is cheating. And so this is the way that the enemy operates. The reason why this becomes so important is because the deception of the enemy is always subtle, and it, is all, and it always leads to the loss of God's intended best for our lives. I want you to think 
think about that. The deception of the enemy is always subtle and it always leads to the loss of God's intended best for our lives. When you look all the way back to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, and you find in chapter 3 a conversation that happened between a serpent and a woman, and you'll remember the subtlety of the serpent's question to Eve, and it was what? It was, did God tell you not to eat of this tree? And then Eve goes on to explain, well, God didn't say don't eat. He said don't touch and, you know, not, not to do that because then we would die and all this. And then what does he communicate? He subtly injects in there, you surely will not die. He's like, God doesn't want you to be like him. And so what did God want for Adam and Eve and, and by proxy us? He wanted us to experience his best. And his best was directly connected with what? With not eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but us eating of the tree of life, being secured eternally, and then not having to battle with sin, right? So think about life. I mean, just think about this for a moment. Think about what life would be like without sin. All right, you wouldn't have any pain, right? How many of y'all would love to have no pain, right? How many of you, I mean, you, you would have no fear. How many of you would love to have no fear, right? You would have no doubts. How many of you would love to have no doubts? There would be no war. How many of you would love for there to be no war? How about this one? There'd be no taxes. Hello, somebody. I know y'all, none of us want taxes, right? Like this is, and I'm saying like sin, sin is a pro, or, or taxes are a product of sin. Yes, in, in one sense, right? Because we need these different things that have to be done or whatever the case may be. But here's the point. The point is, how about this? Unfair taxes, we'll say that, right? Things that are unfair, unjust, right? Because there may have been a taxation system that came into, you know, as knowledge increased or whatever the case may be. But the point is, if we did not have any of those effects of sin in our lives, our lives would be totally different. We would experience God's best. And so here's what happens. As we come to Christ and as we come into a relationship with him, and as a result, we are called to obey God's word, we have choices to make. And we can either obey what God says, trust what God's truth is, and experience God's best for our life despite the sin that we're going to battle, despite the difficulties that we're going to face, despite the things that we're going to experience, we can still experience God's best. And the more we obey God's word, the more we are able to what? Experience what God wills for our lives, no matter what it is. And so we have a choice to make. And so what the church of Colossae was battling was what? Was false teaching that was coming in that was going to subtly bring deception and ultimately cheat them of what God willed for them to understand. And the heart of this message here today is about our identity in Christ. Because when you start to misunderstand the truths of Scripture, one of the first things that begins to be attacked is your identity, who you are as a child of God, who you are as a believer. And so the big idea that I have for you this morning is this, we are complete in Christ and we must live out of that identity. We are complete in Christ and we must live out of that identity. The, the ending verse here, verse 10, he says that we are complete in Christ. He goes through a couple of other things here, but what I want you to get is this, is that we are complete in Christ. We, there, there's nothing that needs, if you are a child of God today, understand this, you may not feel adequate, God says you are. Are you here? 
You may not feel like you're enough for whatever situation in life you're facing, but God's word says that you are enough for what he has called you. That is your new identity. You are a child of God who is loved deeply and dearly, and we see it greatly through his demonstration of giving a son, dying on the cross, and showing us how much he loves us. He makes that crystal, crystal clear for us. And when you understand that identity, no matter your age, if you're a believer, you have to live out of that identity. You must live out of that identity. You can't be striving to gain identity and other things. You must come to the point that you understand what God says in his word about you. And so the first thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we must beware of being cheated. We must beware of being cheated. We must beware of being cheated. The first thing that he says here to us in verse 8, he says, beware lest anyone cheat you. And let's just pause there. Lest anyone cheat you. What does that word mean to cheat? In some of your Bibles, you might have a number that's next to that word cheat, and it may have given you like another. If you look to the margin, it may give you some other words to define what that means to be cheated. Um, If you're looking on on a Bible that's on some kind of um, smart smart app or something like that, um, then you you can go ahead and you'll probably click on that word and you'll be able to see what the definition is. But when it's talking about being cheated, that word cheated, it means to be plundered or to be taken captive. And so it says, beware lest anyone cheat you, lest anyone steal from you, and as they're stealing from you, put you into bondage. See, that is what was, the, that was, what was going to occur if they were listening to the Gnostic beliefs of their day. And we have to realize that one of the greatest tactics of the, the enemy employs against believers is the temptation for us to become complacent. Are you here? One of the greatest tactics of the enemy is for believers to become complacent. For us to be not vigilant. You know, growing up, I didn't, I didn't grow up in the best neighborhoods, right? I didn't grow up in, in, in a place where you could leave your keys in your car overnight. Hello, somebody, right? Like, you couldn't do that. And, and I remember, you know, some years ago living in, you know, where we lived in Winter Springs, you know, gated community. And I remember, you know, thinking to myself, man, I, I live so, like, laxed. Like, I, I would leave, I leave my wallet in my car that sits in the front of my drive. You, you understand that you would never do, like, where I grew up, you would never do that. Like, you would never, you, you, would, you, you would not leave your wallet in your car. You wouldn't leave your keys, you wouldn't leave your car unlocked in the front of your house. Like, that just didn't happen. Because what? Because you were aware you were being careful, you were being vigilant about your stuff because you understood what was going on around you, right? And some of you, you grew up in neighborhoods like that, and so you had this understanding. And even as an adult, right, like I remember when I went to the Corrections Academy, you know, going through the Corrections Academy, there were certain things that we learned, and one of them was, you know, man, you always got to be aware of your surroundings, right? And so one of the things when I go into a restaurant, I always have to have my back to the wall so I can see who's walking in the restaurant. Not because I was in prison, that never happened, but Here's the deal. I, I, I have to be, I, I need to know who's walking in this store. We just went on this, on this, on this trip and, um, to, to Barcelona, and we're on, on the plane. Like, I'm sitting in this plane, and I'm like, okay, I'm a, I, I got on this plane so I could sleep. But then I'm looking around, I'm like, okay, so let me take account of every person that's in this cabin. And let me look at all of them and be like, man, because someone could just rise up, and we're going to blow stuff up. I'm just saying, like, this could happen, right? Like, this is the world that we live in. And so we can easily be duped into believing that we can just sit back and chill, and everything is okay, right? And the reality is, Paul is communicating to this church Beware, 
right? Be vigilant. Don't be complacent. Don't, don't let the enemy rock you to sleep by deception and then keep you in bondage because that's what the enemy wants you to do. The enemy wants you to believe that you don't have nothing to be afraid of. You, that, that, that nobody out there is going to deceive you, that nobody out there is going to lie to you, that nobody out there is going to tell you a, a, a false thing and make it seem like the truth. Listen, I say this, you need to, every, every word you hear ever preached from a pulpit, you need to test by the scripture, including the words that I preach. Are you here? I'm not, I'm not exempt from that truth. If I'm telling you something and you're like, man, I don't know about that, and you don't see, you need to study the Bible. Is that truth in the scriptures? Because if it's not, it's false. And, that, and, and we're living in a world that is filled with falsehood, that is filled with half-truths, and we're living in a world that, that, is, that, is, that is bombarded with deception. And what the enemy wants us to do is he wants us to become unguarded. He wants us to just be comfortable. He wants us to just be relaxed. He wants us to be unaware of the subtle deceptions that the enemy is bringing against our lives. And if we're not vigilant, he, the, the enemy's just going to rock us to sleep, just like a lullaby, you know? Rock-a-bye, baby. It's like, rock-a-bye, Christian, here's the deception. Right, I mean, you know, like, it's, it's just coming, right? Like, like, that, like, that's like, here's the lies. Like, just take it. Just, it feels good, right? Everything is okay around you. And we need to be aware. We need to recognize those voices of, the, of deception. So what does the apostle Paul do? He warns them. He goes on. He says this. He says, beware lest anyone cheat you. And what does he say? He says, through philosophy and empty deceit. And then he goes on and he says, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. And so what does he say? He says, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy. Through philosophy. So what is philosophy, right? Philosophy is, if you're looking for the definition, it is the love of wisdom. That's what that word means, the love of wisdom. Now let me ask you a question. Now think about this for a moment. Is there something wrong with loving wisdom? No. What is the book of Proverbs about? I, I encourage men, right? Women, I, I encourage you. Every day, spend time in the book of Proverbs. Our Bible reading plan this year, reading, you know, one psalm, one proverb, one, one text in the New Testament, one text in the Old Testament, and learning to go through the book of Proverbs every day, right? And, and I say men because I'm a man, and so I believe that in order for men to be the best leaders that they can be, believe that men are called to lead, you need to lead with wisdom, and you need to love wisdom. That's what Proverbs says. You should love wisdom. And so be in the book of Proverbs daily as a man, be in the book as a woman of God too, but be in the book, in, in the book of Proverbs daily, reading through, meditating on, gaining wisdom from scripture. There's nothing wrong with loving wisdom. There's a problem with loving wisdom that is filled with emptiness. The philosophy 101, you know, I heard a preacher say it, I can't take credit for this, but he said, man, I believe 100% that no one who has ever gone through a philosophy 101 class should ever be allowed to talk about philosophy. Hello. Right, they, they, They're like, because they come out of there thinking they know a whole bunch of stuff and they're just confused, right? And so you've got to go a little bit deeper into this. You've got to go a little bit further. You've got to dig a little bit, right? And so the reality is we cannot be confused by the false teachings, by these false, these empty, these things that are deceitful. And so how do we know they're deceitful? Well, he gives us two things that he points out specifically that makes these philosophies empty. And literally, the way that that would be written is it says philosophy that is characterized by empty deceit. Philosophy that is characterized by empty deceit. And so how do you know that you're listening to empty wisdom that is false wisdom? Number one, it's according to the tradition of men. And number two, it is according to the elementary 
three principles of the world. Number one, it is according to the traditions of men. And let me say this because we all have traditions, do we not? Right? At Core Faith Church, we have traditions, right? Like, like every Sunday, we do communion. That is a tradition, right? That is, now, when, we say, when I say that's a tradition, I don't mean that it should be just some kind of traditional act that you participate in because we are vehemently opposed to that, but it is something that is traditional that was handed down from where? It was handed down from Jesus to his disciples, from the disciples to all of the converts, and continuing on 2,000 years later, we're doing what? We're doing communion. Now, mind you, we do it a little bit different. They used to have a meal, and so we don't have, you know, time in our settings here to have a communion meal, but nonetheless, we celebrate communion because it is a biblical tradition that has been handed down. Here's the problem. The problem is not with tradition. The problem is when the tradition is a tradition of man, not a tradition of scripture. And let me tell you the greater issue. The greater issue is that some of us hold to our man-held or man-passed-down traditions more than we hold to Scripture. Our traditions matter more to us than the Bible does. Our traditions matter more to us. The way that we see things, the way that we were taught, the way that we were raised, the way that we think worship should be, the way that we think church should be, the way that we think, we think, we think, most of that was handed down, whether it was intentionally or it was just something that you learned. So when I first became a Christian, I, you know, I, I was a Christian at 18 years old. The, everything that I knew as a Christian, guess where I learned it? I learned it from the church that I was going to. There wasn't necessarily an intentionality behind everything that I learned, but everything that I learned as a Christian, that's what I learned there. And you know what had to happen? What had to happen for me is that I had to measure everything we did by the scriptures, I had to measure everything we did by what God's word. The things that are like comfortable for me, the things that I'm okay with, I need to make sure that they align with scripture. The things that I'm not okay with, I need to make sure that they align with scripture before I impose them upon someone else. Are you here? Because there are certain traditions that I'm going to continue to participate in and I'm going to continue to live by. That doesn't mean that you have to live by them. If they're not biblically rooted, you don't have to do that. When you look at this definition of, this, of these traditions and you look at what this was about, the term is especially appropriate to the Judeo-Gnostic, remember Gnosticism is what we're talking about today, to this Judeo-Gnostic teaching in Colossae, which depended for their authority not on ancient writings. In other words, it didn't depend on the ancient writings of Scripture, but on tradition. And then later on, as you continue on to follow Judaism, there was a, a, a sect that was the mystic set, right? Or sect. There, there was a part of Judaism that you that that, that you that they um, became, became, and they were the ones that were all about experience. They were all about sensation. They became this, this mystical part, and, but yet everything that they were doing was passed down. And you know what they were, they were called? It's called Kabbalah, right? And so if you've ever heard that before, because there's a lot of actors that they practice this Kabbalah. It's this Jewish mysticism. And where it comes, it comes from this teaching, this Gnostic teaching about the spiritual and the natural. Remember, we've talked about that and how the spiritual things are good, natural things are not. So looking for sensationalism and things like that. And this is what they were being bombarded with. And Paul is saying, no, when you look up that word Kabbalah, it literally means reception or received doctrine or traditions. That's what it means. And so something that someone can hand down to you, not rooted in scripture, not rooted in in the authority of the 
Bible, but rooted in our experience. The second thing that he says that makes the teachings of these false teachers empty is that they were according to the elementary principles of the world. And so when you look up this world, the elementary principles of the world, it's speaking of rudiments. Right? It's, it's talking about foundational things. And so when you look at this word that is used in Greek text, it's something that meant like elementary sounds of letters. So when you learn the ABCs, right, like that would be something that would be an elementary principle, obviously something that we learn in elementary school as well, right? The basic elements of the universe, right? So water, you know, um, learning about air, learning about gravity, like the basic elements, the things that are there. Um, the, the apostle Peter, uh, he refers to these basic elements in Second Peter chapter 3. It, talked, it's, it refers to the basic elements of knowledge. And so it is the foundation or the ABCs of us, right, being able to understand certain principles within any system of belief. So it's the foundational stuff. But when you come and you look at the, the, what it meant in ancient Greece, it meant the elemental spirits of the universe. It meant the angels that influenced the heavenly bodies. It was one of the words in the vocabulary of the religious astrology of that day. Hello, somebody. The religious astrology of that day. What, what, I, what I want you to understand is that there's a difference, and you, you already know this, but I'm just going to throw this out there just so you can get this. There's a difference between astronomy, right, the study of the stars and things like that, and astrology, where I start to look at the stars for answers, you know, like zodiac signs, right? And I'm sorry if some of you feel like, hey, I'm a Capricorn, hey, I'm a Libra, hey, I'm this. There's some people, I have a conversation with them, and, 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 I, and I sit there, and they're like, well, you know, I'm, a Libra. I'm like, I don't care what, that has nothing to do with who you are. Some devil has made you believe that, right? And, and Christians, we walk around, and we're like, hey, you know, I'm a Libra, I'm this, who cares? That doesn't even matter, right? Like, that is not, that has nothing to do with being a Christian, that has nothing to do with being spiritual. As a matter of fact, it's part of idolatry. It's part of a false system of worship. I know some of you are hurt. Look, it's okay, right? Or you know some people you need to have conversations with, right? But the reality is, I mean, you, you have to look at this, right? Like all of that stuff that, that we see there, this is what Paul is warning them against because all of that does what? It minimizes Christ, it exalts these angelic, and we'll talk more about the angels when we get into more mysticism in, a, in the last one that he deals with, but it, it's this, this false worship. I'm looking for the stars for the answers. Seriously. That's what it is. I'm, 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 looking for, I'm looking for some kind of something outside of the Bible to get answers. Listen, that's not what we want to be about. We want to be about those who are hearing the truth of God's word. And so here's the thing. The fundamental test of any religious teaching is this. Where does it put Jesus Christ, his person, and his work? Where does it put Jesus? Is Jesus above everything? Is Jesus the one who is preeminent in all of it? Is it all about him? Because if religious teaching is not all about Jesus, listen, the Holy Spirit, we reverence him, we honor him. He is a person. He has filled us. He leads us. He guides us. We need his power. We need his presence. But you know what the Holy Spirit does? The Holy Spirit will always point us back to the glorification of Jesus. Are you here? That is what the Spirit of God does. He brings honor and glory to Jesus. That's the way that the Godhead operates in unity, in oneness. And so if a religious teacher is pointing you away from Christ, it's false. 
If Jesus is not everything, he is that that person or that teaching is a false teaching. And so we have to recognize, what does it do? Does it rob him of his fullness? We'll talk about that next. Does it rob Jesus of his fullness? Because if it does, then guess what? It is not a true teaching. Does it deny either his deity or his humanity? Does it deny either of these? Because if it denies either one, it is false teaching. How about this one? Does it affirm that the believer must have some new experience, are you here, to supplement his experience with Christ? If so, it is false teaching. Listen, we have to recognize this. That we need Christ. He is everything for us. And, and as believers, we must be sure that we are not mixing our beliefs, biblical truth, and values with that of inferior belief systems that do not point to Christ as all sufficient. This is what Paul is arguing for, and this is what I would contend for today as well. That we make sure that Christ is all sufficient, that we're looking to him. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we must recognize... Where God's fullness dwells. We must recognize where God's fullness dwells. We must recognize this. The next verse in verse 9, it says, For in him dwells all the fullness, say all the fullness, of the Godhead bodily. In him, in who? Christ. In Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Again, the apostle is doing what? Remember when we were in verses 1 or chapter 1, verse 19? Just look back there really quickly. Chapter 1, verse 19, it says, For it pleased the Father that in him, again, again speaking about Jesus, all the fullness should dwell. That in Christ, all of the fullness should dwell. And so what was that word? That word was pleroma in the Greek. And it meant what? It meant the sum total of all that God is. It meant all of his being and attributes. And I want you to notice the contrast. The contrast between the philosophy that was empty and Christ where the fullness is. You see the, you see the contrast that's there. That, that there is philosophy that makes you feel full, but it's really empty. Are you here? That there are things you feel. I mean, and that's the reason why this, pre, this pastor said, you know, anybody who goes through philosophy 101, they shouldn't be talking about philosophy. You know why? Because philosophy starts to blow your head up. You start to feel like you have some wisdom. You have some understanding. You start to feel like there's something more than Christ. There's something more out there. There's something deeper. There's some deeper truth. There's something that is greater than. Listen, that's not truth. That's something that is filling you up. It's like you. When I was growing up as a kid, you know, as, as an adult, uh, you know, I, I, I still do this. Unless Unless the food is like extremely dry, I don't drink anything until the end of my meal. You want to know why? Because growing up, my grandparents, my, my, my mother, they would never let me drink anything. You know why? Because you drink liquid and what do you do? You get full, right? And so the reality is that's what it's like when you're partaking of empty philosophy. You get full. You start to feel like you know some stuff. And all of a sudden, you're not concerned with Christ. You're not concerning with the fullness that is in Christ Jesus. Here, here's the thing. We must clearly see Jesus is not solely divine but deity. And I need you to grab this because when I was looking at this, I've never seen this before. And so I really feel like this is very, very important for us to recognize what Paul says. He says here, he says, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He, he wasn't saying that Christ is just divine. He was saying Christ is deity. 
And, and, and listen, there is a big difference between divine and deity because in our culture today, as was in that time, the false belief system was what? Is that everything and everyone was divine. You know why? Because God dwells in everyone, right? That's that pantheistic worldview. God is in everything, right? This is the reason why you have people that are starving in countries and cows are running free because they worship those cows rather than killing the dog on cow and eating it. Hello, somebody, right? I'm just saying, like, that's just what, nonetheless, they worship all things because all things are divine, and so you don't take this life, and whatever the case is, but what Paul is saying, he's saying, listen, that's what these Gnostic teachers are talking to you about, about everybody being divine. Jesus is not just divine, he's deity. He's God. He is above everything, right? He's not, he's not equal to everything. No one can become like Christ just by, you know, becoming. Like, you start to grow in knowledge because that's what the Gnostics taught you, right? Like, you, you had to get deeper, and as you got deeper, you became more spiritual. You became more enlightened. You know, this sounds like a lot of, like, mumbo-jumbo garbage we hear today, right? Same garbage, right? It's just packaged differently. They just seem smarter, right? They have television channels that they're on, and they communicate this stuff to you and you think well they're wealthy and they make money and they're successful and God hasn't struck them down listen you need to be careful with that because there is a day that they're going to be struck down and it is sad we need to pray for their deliverance because just because they don't see judgment this side of heaven does not mean judgment is not waiting for them but here's the thing we look at these really smart wealthy successful people and they worship this way and we think oh well there must be something to it no there's a devil that is behind it. There is an antichrist spirit that is behind it. And we as brothers and sisters, when you see brothers and sisters being duped into believing that, you need to bring them back to the scripture and say, listen, it's not just about the divine, it's about the deity. It's not just about the, the imago Dei in us, it's about day, God. Right? It's not about just the image of God that is in everyone, that imago Dei that we all carry, but it's about the day, the God of creation, the God of the image. It is about him, and that is what the Apostle Paul is trying to do. And he says this, remember, because the Gnostics believed that anything bodily formed was what? It was sinful and evil. What does he say? He says, the fullness of the Godhead dwelled in him bodily. And here's what I want you to know. When you and I get to heaven, you know what we're going to see? We're going to see a glorified body of Jesus. We're going to see a glorified Savior in a body that looks like ours much better. Hello, somebody, right? We're going to look like him, actually, according to what the Bible says, right, in the sense of being glorified. But here's the thing. He didn't, like, walk away from his body. His body was glorified, and he is there. The fullness dwells in him. In other words, God can sanctify. That is through the power of the gospel. Here's why this is important, because it is not until we recognize the fullness of God in Christ will we begin to seek him and trust him for everything. You see, it's not until we really start to see the fullness that is in Christ that we will start to seek him for everything. See, we'll continue seeking fulfillment and other things until we find the fullness that there is in Christ. We'll continue to go outside. And the last thing I ask you to repeat after me is to say, we must actively rest in whom we are complete. We must actively rest in whom we are complete. How many of you know what active rest is? Raise your hand if you know what active rest is. Okay, raise your hand if you don't know what active rest is. 
You don't know, right? Okay, so here's the thing. So active rest, the way that I understand it, the way where I, I'll say where I learned the term, okay? I learned the term in, 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 in the workout world. And so active rest means this. So you work out a few days, and then you have an active rest day. An active rest day means you don't lay on the couch and eat Doritos all day because you're resting, <laughs> right? <laughs> that, that, you were like, well, Bishop, I'm being active. Like, I'm... I'm I'm eating. I'm eating on my rest day. No. Active rest is like you go out and you run a leisurely mile. Now, I don't know anyone who runs a leisurely mile. Actually, I do know some people, and I, I think they're all crazy. I'm like, there's nothing fun about running to me. Like, I hate running more than... I, I just hate running, all right? I, I don't know what I hate it more than, but I mean, I really like... If, there, if you gave me a choice between... I don't even know, but nonetheless... I just hate it, right? But, you know, they're like actively, or, or, or you can go like, like swim a couple laps. I'm like, I swim two laps and I'm ready to die. Like, I don't, but nonetheless, this is active rest, right? And so it's resting in an active capacity, right? It's, it's resting, and, 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 but you're still active. You're still moving. And the reason why I think that this is so important for us is because as believers, we need to have active rest. We need to rest in what we see in this scripture actively, Right? It's not like it's not like we just you know it, you know I, I'm looking at Mezzi because during I don't know if you noticed but Mezzi was in deep meditation um, during during the beginning of the service. Um, I mean he was like knocked out and like Pastor Aldo and I we both thought Mezzi was going to wake up and give us a prophetic word because we felt like he was getting a dream of revelation from the Lord. Um, but he was active. I mean he was very deep in that activity of rest. Uh, you know, but. I totally, but, 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 but here's the thing. It is, it is, it is us not just hitting, uh, um, you know, the neutral, right? Or putting the car in neutral, but it says actively being engaged. So what do you say in verse 10? And I'm, and I'm wrapping up here. He says, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality. You are complete. So Jesus is the pleroma. He is the sum total of all that God is and all of his being and attributes. And you and I, we are the plero, right? He is the pleroma. We are the plero. We are the ones that we are complete in him. We are, our fullness comes from what? It comes from us being in him. And so when we think about what that means, what is Paul saying here? What is he communicating? Two things. Number one, why are you complete? Number two, how exactly is it that you are complete? First of all, I want you to know the way that this, this verse could read is it could read this, and you are in him having been filled full with the present result that you are in a state of fullness, right? The point of this is the way that it's written in the Greek, there's so much emphasis on fullness and completion. That's the way it is. But I want you to understand, you and I are complete because we are in Christ. Are you here? Your completeness isn't like, Jesus isn't like part of it. It is because of who you are in, right? That, that placement, that position, because of what Jesus did on the cross, because we recognize the beauty of the gospel, because we understand we were born into sin, separated from God, that our good works never make us good enough, that our good behavior will never be able to balance the accounts for our bad behavior. When we come to the place that we recognize that Jesus died in our place to make up for everything we can never make up for and then he gives us a fullness and this is what it is he gives us this fullness in him he gives us this completeness in him there is nothing that is that we need that is outside of Christ are you getting that 
We are complete because of our position in him because of the gospel. And how is it that we are complete? Well, number one, we are complete in our sanctification or in our justification. In other words, we're complete because I am not seeking every day to be justified before God. You know, some 20-something years ago, when I put my faith in Christ, you know what? That day, I experienced justification, and that's it. Are you here? That's it. I'm justified, right? I am justified. No longer does God look at me as the person I was. He has forgiven me, and he sees me as a new creation. He's given me a new identity. That's the beauty of, of, of how it is, that, that part of me, being, of, of me being complete in him. But then there is this other part of this completion. I'm sufficiently complete, and this is talking about my sanctification. See, you're saying, see, here's the thing. You have to recognize that it's not just about justification. That's part of your salvation. But there is this other part, which is sanctification. And it is us recognizing that for you and I to become more like Christ, you know what we need? Christ. Are you here? We don't need some, some other things to make us more like Christ. We need Christ to become more like Christ. I say it like this. As believers, we grow by nutrition, not addition. Are you here? We grow by nutrition, not addition. It's not by me adding a bunch of different beliefs and a bunch of different practices and a bunch of different um, traditions. It is about me doing what? It is about me being, receiving the nutrition that comes from my relationship with Christ, with God, in his word, in his spirit. It is there that I am, that, that I want to say neutrified. I'm going to just use that word. I, don't know, it, I think it is a word. All right. It's word. It's good. I think it's good. Neutrified. Look it up. Um, but neutrified, right? I, it is when I, it's when I receive this nutrition, right, in my life, and I become what? I become more like Christ. I become more, more like Christ. I think I've used that word before, but nonetheless, it's a good word. I like it. it is, it's a great word. I love the word neutrified. That's a new one for you today, all right? It's a, it's a Greek word. Um, I'm very proficient in the Greek, okay? Um, it, I, anyway, we'll, we'll discuss that next service. I got to wrap this one up. But here is the deal. The reality is, is that we become more like Christ as we are what? As we experience the life-changing work continuously, being reminded of what Jesus has done for us. We are complete in him. And this is what Paul prayed in the book of Ephesians chapter 3, that we would receive the fullness of Christ. And that's what he meant, that we would become more and more like Jesus. And here's the reality. The reality is, if you don't spend time with Jesus, you're not going to become more like Jesus. So listen, you want your attitude to look more like Christ? Spend more time with Jesus. And talking about Jesus isn't going to change your attitude. Spend time with Jesus. If you want to become more like him, it is that. And here's the thing. You know what, what, what will make us be more apt to spend time with him? It is when we do what? When we are in our understanding of who we are in Christ. You see, because when I understand who I am in Christ, I want to spend time with Jesus. Because I recognize that the only reason why I am who I am in Christ is because of what Jesus did. And so here's my closing question for you. Are you living securely in your identity in Christ? Are you living securely in your identity in Christ? Are you walking that out? Are you living that out? Are you living out of that understanding of who you are, living for his glory? If you're not, today's a day that you can put your faith in Jesus, that you can trust him. If you are not living out of your identity in Christ, today is an opportunity for you to say, God, I don't want to live 
with my own identity, with my own identity struggles. I want to be who Christ says I am. And so there's two people in this room. Number one, uh, that would say no to that question. It would be the person who is not a believer. If you are not a believer in this place today, call upon Christ. If you're not walking with him today, call upon Jesus. Repent of your sin. Put your faith in Christ. The other person that says, no, that I'm not living out of my identity is the person who's a believer, but you still haven't come to understand fully that you are loved because of what Christ did. And today, you as a believer, you can stop struggling and you can have an active rest where you are experiencing the life-giving, changing relationship with Jesus, right, that's transforming you. You can do that. But today, you got to recognize that, that it's not about you. It's about what he did. Amen? Amen. Stop standing on our feet and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, today we come to you and we praise you because you are good. You're all wise. You're all powerful. You are all knowing. And we are grateful, so grateful for your love, so grateful for your grace. And we pray this morning, Spirit of God, that you would draw the hearts of those who do not yet know Jesus into a relationship with him today, that you would convict them of their sin, of righteousness and judgment, that you would show them your love and that they would turn and that from this day forward that they would live knowing that they are loved. And Lord, for my brothers and sisters that are in here that are struggling in their identity with you, even though they know you, God, I pray that you would strengthen them today, that they would understand what you did on the cross for them was once and for all, and that you did it because of your great love for them. Let them rest in that. Let them walk in that, Lord God, and help us to live for your glory, not trying to add anything, but being built up in our faith for your glory, for your honor, and by your kingdom's sake. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. Come on, give God a hand of praise.